The views expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW. Now you're dead, so you can suck it. Oh, you want more? Come get it, buddy. Because I got something special for you. And I got something special for you, too. Well, that's not looking too good. What? Castle? Well, then stick your head out, Patel, and get pwned like a real man. Who's Patel? He's this kid from India. He's been thrashing me for weeks, but not tonight, because tonight I am bringing it. And it stings, doesn't it? Yeah, it kind of does. Castle. What? Would you rather play with a kid in an imaginary world or with in the real world? I... I, uh... Uh, oh my god. What? Oh my god! You actually have to think about this! Nope. Nope. I don't have to think about it. Come on over here. Are you kidding me? What? You know what? Forget it. Seriously, I died on purpose for you. Whatever. Come on, what? No, I. It's not my mom. It's worse. Yeah, see you Thursday. I'm sorry. You know how I get when I'm gaming? I was I was in the zone. I was like Gretzky. Well, at least Gretzky knew how to score. Ouch. Okay. Look. Good morning, London. It's Thursday, August 29, 2013. I'm Bob Metz. And I'm Al Gretzky. And this is Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM. We will be with you from now until noon. No, no, not right wing. Just right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. And welcome to the show today, where 519-661-3600 is always a number you can call to reach us or email us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. Al, glad to have you on the show today. It's a pleasure to be here. Going to be an interesting one, I think. Uh, I know you're going to be leading off the show, so I'm just going to say what I'm going to discuss at the last half, and I'm going to be talking about just say yes to pot use, which seems to be the <laughs> proper answer to give by every politician that's been coming out of the woodwork on this. Isn't that amazing? It, it is indeed, yes. And, uh, of course, there's a follow-up to uh, something we were doing on the show last week with respect to Mark Emery and Pierre, or Pierre Trudeau, uh, Justin Trudeau, his son, and we will follow up on that. We're also going to be talking about uh, hypocrisy and, and oaths and integrity in the last half of the show. And uh, now I understand the first half of the show, and this is, uh, is this the first time you've ever co-hosted? As first, uh, first time ever co-hosted uh, anything uh, whatsoever other than maybe a local barbecue. Well, you know. there you go. I know you've been on, on radio a yes. lot, but not yep. in this particular role, and of course what that means for you in this case is that you get to pick the topics. You get to pick what you want to talk about. And so um, see, see if you like it this time, maybe you'll be a yeah. co-host. And, and that, that Still in for Robert from now and now and then, you know. I, I, yes, indeed. If it works out well, and if uh, those who uh, are around this decide that uh, it would be a worthwhile thing to do, but uh, this picking of your own topic, really, uh, from a person who's been on the other end for a long time, being asked questions, it's really different. It's a different experience, isn't it? It, it truly is. Yeah. It sounds like it'd be a wonderful thing. Well, I can say whatever I want, but whatever I want. Well, yeah. Well, first you got to get it in order. You got to oh, find out what it is and oh. line it up. 
up and on all the rest. I'll tell you, the first time I did the show on my own, it was after years of, of just being uh, a guest with, you know, Jim Chapman and other yeah. people, mm-hmm. and that was a totally different experience. <laughs> that was like a holiday compared to doing your own show. But I understand you want to talk about some interesting things that have crossed your mind lately, and, and yep. I guess you'd put it under the category of full disclosure for informed full. choice. Now, That's correct. Full and total disclosure. Okay, well, tell us what you're into here. And okay. We'll see if uh, I can, if I right. can refrain from interrupting you too often. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, okay, uh, let's see if that really does happen. Yeah, okay. um, <laughs> uh, first of all, uh, let me try and define uh, a little bit about what I mean by full and total mm-hmm. disclosure. Um, when, when a topic is being discussed, one should not only give the plus side of the argument, but the minus side as well. Simple analogy. If you burn a piece of wood, you'll create heat to keep you warm and allow you to cook your food. Now, that's positive. The negative would be that the wood has been consumed and you've polluted the air with smoke. So, with that information, I can decide which of these two acts is the most important and make an educated uh, decision Mm -hmm. on that. Another example would be um, pipelines. Now, those individuals who are currently talking about pipelines perceive them as a problem only, and that is spills. They never discuss the benefit of the line, that they provide a constant source of energy, they uh, keep society moving forward, and uh, until we develop Star Trek transporter capabilities, we'll need to ship the fuel somehow, and pipelines are the safest for now. Now, thirdly, there's the, uh, the personal type of disclosure, and for me, that would be I am a non-believer in anthropogenic global warming, as pushed by the ICC. I do believe in climate change, that the Earth has been doing that for billions of years, with and without humans' help. I uh, further believe that mankind has an obligation to treat the Earth with dignity and respect, that we should do our best to not pollute the atmosphere, that the uh, oil sands, which produce about 0.05% of the carbon released mm-hmm. in the air, <laughs> is not the greatest cause of the crisis of the day, global warming. Finally, I am not so arrogant as to believe that mankind in some way is bigger than Mother Nature. When she has had enough, she will simply lay a smack down on all of us. There. I think that That's covers it. That's for sure. You know, I don't think the average person even can comprehend the power in in one storm, <laughs> let alone all our nuclear energy we have, you know. No, no, really. It's really amazing, the power of the planet itself. Yes, and, and, and Mother Nature just carries on almost oblivious to who we are and what we are and what we're doing. We're almost an annoyance. Uh, well, we're part of Mother Nature, aren't we? We are a part of it, but... That, I, isn't that part of the problem? We see ourselves as separate from nature, maybe, and... And so we think of ourselves as apart from it, instead of maybe seeing ourselves as part of nature, and then there wouldn't be as much of a conflict, do you think? Um, I, I think that people have, uh, they, uh, what, what shall I say, they think too highly of that. They rate themselves <laughs> higher than, uh, than Mother Nature. And you, you can't do that. Mother Nature has been around for billions of years and has sustained many traumatic experiences. And man, it really is just an annoyance more than anything. Yeah, and between Mother Nature and Father Time, we're just, we're just in trouble, aren't we? Please don't talk to me about Father Time, okay? Because I'm getting there. The whole family <laughs> is coming out for... <laughs> Anyway, uh, now, um, so so to get to the point of uh, where where I'm going to go with this, mm-hmm. um, we've become a society of sound bites. 
Uh, where the faster you could say something, the better. Where uh, close enough has replaced exact, and where I think so has actually replaced fact. Uh, where if it makes even a semblance of sense, well, obviously it must be right. So the real problem with all this shortcut societal thinking is that accuracy and being right has become arbitrary. And I, and I think we could do a whole show probably mm -hmm. on, on that fact well, alone. I'll say, you, you got, you got, I, I've already written half a page here just from what you just said. <laughs> so, you know, it's a case of where everybody uh, gets to pass, uh, you get a gold star and you get a ribbon. In other words, you, you take uh, the easy way and still be first in line. But, but I digress. Uh, the problem with this new concept is that it's not based on the truth. It's based on consensus. And when you use consensus, you're not given full and total disclosure, as I would say. Ah, that, that's the see, connection. Okay. Right. So, so uh, that's what's led us into some of the dire straits that we have. I mean, even a meaningful act will be misunderstood without full and total disclosure. And I'll give you an example. Uh, this little story was mm -hmm. in a church bulletin. So when I begin talking about religion here, it's not religion per se. Sure. Uh, once, and it makes a very fine point. Uh, one Sunday morning, the pastor noticed uh, little Alex standing in the foyer of the church staring up at a large plaque. It was covered with names and small flags and mounted on either side of it. The six-year-old had been staring at the plaque for some time, so the priest walked up, stood beside the little boy, and said quietly, Good morning, Alex. Good morning, Father. He replied, still focused on the plaque. Father, what is this? And the priest replied, Well, son, it's a memorial to all the young men and women who died in the service. Soberly, they stood together, staring at the large plaque. Finally, little Alex, voice barely audible and trembling with fear, asked, Which service, Father? The 9.30 or the 5? <laughs> See, and, and what you have there is... <clears throat> one one of the problems with consensus and not having all the facts is is borne out in that little story. We assume we assume that people have far more information stored within them than they actually have. So we give them a part of the story, and then we can assume that they know what the rest that of the story... That they can fill the rest in for themselves. That they yeah. can fill it in. So in the case of this little boy, I mean, he saw the word service, and to him, service meant 9.30 or 5. What they left out, of course, was service, service in, in the name of the country sure. or service in the military or, or something... So, because of that simple little lack of disclosure, that little boy was confused. Well, that little boy could be a grown individual without any problem whatsoever. Give them sure. the wrong he, he wasn't confused metaphysically. He was confused in relationship to the topic relative Correct. to the yeah. person who had a different yeah. spin on it. Yeah, right. right. I mean, uh, he could understand that these individuals lost their lives, right. and he could feel what, it, what he would feel about that. But where he was confused is in the service. Right. He just assumed <laughs> in his world that meant 9.30 or 5. Now, the, the, the reason that I got on the topic of uh, full disclosure was an article that was in the, uh, in the free press. Mm -hmm. and, and, and the article was called, Our Future Lies in Green Energy. And uh, I wrote a letter back to the free press on, on that. And my objection to it was not so much that 
the facts were incorrect that were in the article. And they, they were? No, the, yeah. the facts were as they were presented. Okay. But again, they were presented to a point and then left for you to fill in the blanks. Uh-huh. They, you, you didn't get the, the whole story. The Hence, other, you're not sure whether you're going to be dead in the 5 o'clock service or the... <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, and so, and, and, uh, so the other, really the main thing that I looked at and I thought that needed to be told up front was the gentleman who wrote the uh, article had a vested interest in green energy, which was the article was about, mm-hmm. Our Future Lies in Green Energy. Well, this individual had a vested interest as being a part of in a financial way. So when he wrote about how wonderful it was, it would have been good for the individual reading the article to understand right up front that the guy writing this article has got a horse in the race. And, and maybe our future means his, not yours. Correct. <laughs> Correct. Now, now, I have no objection to anyone who has a horse in the race to make a comment or write. I, I believe you and I were talking once before, and you made the comment that oftentimes individuals who are in the industry, who are in the business, are far better to listen to because they really do have the facts. Sure, they know what they're talking they about. They know exactly. Their yeah, area right. of expertise, yes. Right, and, and within the letter itself, uh, he, he makes an interesting uh, sort of comparison between what he's doing on one side and what he's doing on the other. Now, as the uh, managing director of a green energy fund, as I say, he, he has a bias and he has a reason to have, and that's a good thing. And what he says is basically accurate for as far as it goes. Um, now, um, he, he talks about, for example, the Samsung deal, mm-hmm. uh, where um, there was supposed to be $7 billion of, of investment. Well, now it's well below $5 billion. And the uh, jobs that are uh, going to be thousands of jobs created, well, he leaves out the fact that the jobs are only guaranteed until 2016. Uh, he leaves out the fact that the province has guaranteed him a certain amount of money coming back, or, or Samsung, a certain amount of coming back. Regardless of the risk. Regardless the of the paying, risk, yeah. right. And, and, and then at that point in time, the uh, payback was uh, 80 cents a kilowatt hour for something that the province could only sell at 7 cents maximum, and a lot of times at less than 4 cents. So, so it was a, a lose-lose situation. These are some of the things that should have been in the article, of course, that weren't. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the other one that uh, anybody who does green energy loves to talk about, and that's tens of thousands of jobs were created. Everybody uses that, but no one ever lists <laughs> those places. Where did those jobs get created? And, and, and then it goes on to say that we need to be on the right side of, uh, uh, of this aspect, that uh, we have to be first to line for it. Well, I'm not sure how to break the news to the gentleman, but the Europeans who were first in line uh, are dumping it faster than oh, yeah. uh, you, 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 know, you can dump cold water, and they are building coal. Germany quietly putting coal plants up everywhere. Germany is putting coal plants up absolutely everywhere. So I mean, it it really does, uh, it really does show that without that total lack of, without that total information, you get a different picture. Now, let me finish by saying, uh, is there a place for green energy? Sure, there is. It just doesn't happen to be here and now today. 
sometime in the future? Maybe. But but the future isn't here yet. That's that's really what it comes yeah, down to. Yeah, and it might be in the odd place where it's where it is economically viable, or perhaps physically the only thing that, that's available correct. to people, I, and you just got to bear the cost. Certainly, uh, you you could be somewhere up in the middle of um, north north sure. northern Ontario where that would be a viable alternative for you to go. But uh, but no, there were just way too many things uh, going on in that particular one that. Well, you know, you said we were a society of sound bites. Well, we're also a, a radio show of sound bites. And yes. we've got one coming up here for our first break. This, I, I don't know, I guess we're both old enough to have appreciated some Bob Hope movies in our time, eh? The following one is called, uh, is, what we're just about to hear is from the movie, They Got Me Covered. And it's an interesting spin on news credibility and on how to destroy a credible news report by destroying the messenger, the reporter himself, if you want to, right? And that's another thing that's going on. And that's a theme that is kind of eternal, special interests affecting the public's perception of the news. In this case, of course, it was back in, uh, in World War II. We'll be listening to this next. Well, what about Kittredge? He's going ahead with his investigation. How much does he know? He's convinced the Gestapo murdered Vanescu. And he knew enough to come to the Café Moresque looking for him. I know what to do. We must eliminate Kittredge at once. Not so loud. The man is dangerous, Farshine. He's a reporter. He'll keep going after his story. Let me handle this and our troubles are over. Except that murdering him will convince everybody, the police, other reporters, that he really did have a story. No. There is a better way. Destroy his reputation. Destroy him professionally. Make him the laughing stock. Then he can talk as much as he wants to. Nobody will believe him. He can write too, but nobody will print it. I have a plan. See that he smokes one of these. When he wakes up, he'll find himself married to a very dear friend of mine. It's all very simple, Gloria. We have arranged for the marriage license, the plane to Niagara Falls, and everything. When our friend wakes up in the hotel, you will be Mrs. Robert Kittredge. What's your angle? We have no angles. He's a fresh reporter who prints lies about our business. Well, I don't want to get in no trouble. Trouble? $500 is no trouble. The publicity is free, and we'll see that there is plenty of it. Okay. Go out and order the orange blossoms. That's fine, lawyer. Fella, get a load of this one. This is the latest one. What do you know about that? Hey, hey, wait a minute. Here. You don't want to do that, son. A nice young fella like you. What's your name? Robert Kittredge. Kittredge? Oh. Go ahead. Jump. The star has another layout on Kittredge and his bride. I wouldn't mind seeing Kittredge laid out, not in a newspaper. <whistles> what a dish he picked out for himself. There's enough peroxide in her to disinfect the whole German embassy. What do you suppose it is that every time a man gets drunk, he falls for the first blonde that waves an eyelash his way? What are you talking about? 
What blonde? Mrs. Glow Girl Kittredge. That's the blonde. That's not the woman. I saw him leave the cafe. It was a different woman entirely. It's true. He wasn't lying. He was framed in that silly marriage. When he tried to tell me about it, I hung up on him. I'll never forgive myself. A moment ago, you were never going to forgive Kittredge. That's a taxi I ordered for my baggage. Tell him I changed my mind. I'm going to unpack this stuff and kids, we're going to... I know how you feel. Yeah. Well, here I am. The answer to a moron's prayer. Go on, let me have it, all of you. I'm innocent, but nobody believes me. I believe you. Oh, Kit, darling. You're right not to have anything to do with me, Chris. Find somebody else. Forget me. I only came to say goodbye. You big idiot. I don't want anybody else. And don't you dare say goodbye to me. That's right. Kick a man when he's down. <laughs> All right. Uh, just to just to complete the thought on uh, what we were doing in that first section, yes. I uh, was at a debate recently where full disclosure was actually given, and even though full disclosure was given, the audience that was there simply accepted it without question, and that has to do with the price. I had quoted the 80 cents a kilowatt hour, okay. and it was pointed out to me in the debate that, well, now that's totally wrong, that now it's only 12 cents a kilowatt hour for solar, and it's 37 cents a kilowatt hour for wind, and everybody applauded that. But here's the missing point. They can still sell it for seven cents and four cents. Right. It's still a lost leader. I don't understand why they were applauding. But anyhow, let but, running but, at a loss. But yeah, yeah, running. They're still running at a loss. You know. Uh, so even full disclosure sometimes doesn't help. Uh, the second, uh, the second point I wanted to make, although it's about green energy, uh, again, it's. It's about disclosure. Right. Uh, and again, it's a let this is a letter to the editor, and there's this little section I'll read, and uh, it is the following. On August the 8th, the uh, New York Times reported on the ongoing bitumen leak from a tar sands project near Cold Lake, and that the owner of the company, Steve Lout, had denied responsibility and refused to acknowledge it. <clears throat> now, that's the letter. I remember seeing that, yeah. Well... The difficulty is that whether it was the New York Times that's at fault here or whether it's the individual who writes the letter, with about three minutes, well, maybe five minutes worth of hunting on the Internet, I was able to find CBC quotes, CTV quotes, uh, Sun quotes, all kinds of quotes about that particular incident. And they all referred to the fact that Steve Lout, the owner, uh, says he's very sorry about what occurred and that far from not accepting blame, mm -hmm. he has over uh, 200 workers on the line trying to make sure the cleanup is there. And he's also got another 127 people working at trying to figure out where it was that it came from. Now... It almost leaves you to think, because again, it's a leak, that it's a pipeline problem. Well, it's not. This is actually the, the oil bubbling up out of the ground, that they're not quite sure why it's bubbling up, and that's what they have to try and fix. But far from, far from 
uh, not acknowledging it or far from anything else. He's bent over backwards, and if people really want to look it up, they can go to a site called fortmcmurray.com. That's about as close as you're going to get uh, <laughs> to people being actually on site. And, uh, and they were talking about the devastation that this was creating. And on Fort McMurray, it listed the following. Now, I'm not making light of, the, of, of these numbers, but it just goes to show you where the exaggerations come in. The uh, company has also collected the deceased bodies of the following. 27 birds, 23 small mammals, and 71 frogs. There are two beavers, five birds, and two muskrats being rehabilitated. Yes, that is sad that any animal is, is injured in anything whatsoever, but that is far from being a devastating catastrophe. It's amazing it even gets news coverage in a funny sort of way, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Um, I, I, you see worse things happening in the city just with people with their regular pets, let alone wild animals in the wild. Yes, yeah. And I know industry has no self-interest in destroying its reputation. This constant idea that people are out to... Um, damage their own reputation, you know, in, in the terms of the services that they provide to the public. I don't think a lot of people realize how much effort people in the corporate um, environment actually put into taking care of the environment and things like that. It's been like that since way before environmentalism ever took off. Yeah, it's... I've worked uh, for corporations, and I know. I, I, I could not figure out why individuals want to keep painting this picture of corporations who really don't care what happens because if it comes to the point where they really are doing something totally incorrect you, you can have boycotts there are many ways mm. that the public can in fact make a manufacturer pay or make a corporation pay oh and if they feel in the done. wrong they'll switch right away they'll switch their habits almost overnight you're right That's usually how it happens but i think generally what you're seeing is a, is a, is a, they don't see it as such they would never yeah. define it as such but it's an anti-capitalist attitude yeah because it's kind of ingrained in people yeah and and really as i say it again it comes down to that full disclosure the the letter writer it's a very well-written letter but again it's a matter of not giving all of the information mm -hmm. whether she's uh, whether she's done it intentionally left it out or whether she just didn't know and she has accepted this information from the New York Times. That's what or I said. whether the London Free Press edited out a paragraph that she had in her letter. <laughs> that, that could well be, too. That's happened to me before, <laughs> that, too, and I'm going, hey, they, they edited out the most important part. <laughs> <laughs> that, that could yeah. well be. I'm, I'm not sure about that part. But, but again, um, this is one of those possibly unintentional lacks of information. The, the first half, I felt, was a case of... of uh, be it the newspaper or the individuals involved, intentionally not putting in certain amounts of information. Mm -hmm. uh, but in this one, uh, the difference that I had there is that it, this is this I feel is totally unintentional. This individual believes the source, the New York Times, and if the New York Times says it, I don't have to look anywhere else because the New York Times wouldn't lie to me, mm -hmm. would they? Right. <laughs> and once something someone's accepted something as being quote unquote fact. Trying to convince them otherwise becomes a much more difficult prospect, to say the least. Absolutely. So, how are we doing? You okay there? Uh, yeah. We, uh, we've got an interesting comment on the green energy issue coming up next year, going into our break for the bottom of the hour, and we'll be back afterwards getting into this whole issue of all the, all the 
politicals coming out <laughs> admitting they're smoking pot. But the next clip here is from Yaron Brook, who uh, is executive director of the Ayn Rand Institute from uh, an event in Toronto this past May. We've talked about it before. This is from actually uh, Robert Vaughn's own recording of that event in which he talks about uh, environmentalists. And we'll be back after this break. The human environment has never, ever been better than it is right now. You breathe cleaner air, you drink cleaner water, you have longer life, healthier life. Life is great out there. And what, are you worried about future generations? They're going to be so rich, they're going to make you look ridiculous for caring about them. Let them solve their problems. But the, the whole idea of future generations is bizarre to me if we believe in progress. Because what we're saying is we're going to cripple our own lives, us poor people, we're, going to, we're very poor compared to them, in order to benefit some rich generation, three generations out. We know what technology they're going to have. Here's the hypothetical. Think about this. In, in the middle of the 19th century, they were using coal to do everything, which meant there was soot in the air, and it was dirty. And it was really harmful for people. They were breathing this stuff in. It wasn't good for them. Imagine the environmentalist movement then shutting down coal in the name of future generations, us. But that would have shut down the Industrial Revolution. And most of us wouldn't be alive today because they thought about us and they cared about us and they loved us. We would be dead. With all due respect to future generation, let them worry about it. I don't, half the, half the environment, not half, 99% of the environmentalist scares I don't believe. I mean, just think about it. This is their track record, right? Track record. In 19, uh, what was it, 62 or 63, because it's 100 years, it's, uh, it's uh, 50 years. Uh, in 63, uh, Silent Spring was published, claiming that DDT was killing the environment. Everybody, it was just this awful, horrible substance that was just destructive, and we need to stop it immediately. So they did. It turns out the science was all wrong. And it turns out that because we stopped using DDT, mosquitoes are killing people every year. But a million people die of malaria because we don't use DDT to kill the mosquitoes. And there's no proof, no scientific proof DDT is harmful to anything. Indeed, they're starting to reintroduce DDT now. 50 years later, 50 years later, millions of people have died because of that book. Oh, but in the late 60s, Robert Ehrlich, famous Stanford professor, wrote a book about the population bomb. And he said, Imminently, hundreds of millions of people in the world are going to die of starvation. This was 68 or 69, right? You remember the 70s? You remember the massive starvation all around the world in the 70s? It didn't happen. Okay, but then in the early 70s, they said, oh, but because of human activity, the earth is going to cool and we're going to have an ice age. And we, front page, New York Times, Time Magazine, everywhere. Oh, that didn't happen. Now I'm really trusting. I'm a finance guy. If somebody comes to me and said, I've lost money every single year, but give me this time I'm right. What are you going to do? Give him money? Well, I am trusting the environmentalists. I don't believe any of their stories because it's not motivated by fact. It's not motivated by truth. They are just, you know, Ayn Rand identified them in the late 1960s. She, she wrote an essay called The Anti-Industrial Revolution. And she talked about, in those days, they were called ecologists. They weren't even called environmentalists. And she said, they're not motivated by human environment. They're not motivated by human well-being. They're not motivated by making human life better. They're motivated by destruction. They're motivated by hatred. They're motivated by 
they're, they're Luddites, just like Luddites have always been. They're anti-technology, anti-progress, anti-human being. I've acknowledged that I once had the opportunity to try it. Uh, I'm not sure, in fact, that what I did brought me in in, uh, in breach of the criminal law, as a matter of fact. Well, you smoked marijuana. It's not a crime to do that. Uh, it was put in front of me. I tried it, didn't like it, and it was illegal, and I wasn't prepared to do it. I was not a frequent user, and I have I've not used marijuana, no. Uh, I've, I've, like other young people of my generation, I experimented, uh, and, and that was the case. My... You know, I was thinking uh, when I was at that age, it wasn't unusual for us, I as I imagine was the case for uh, most people who are surrounding me now. I wouldn't answer the marijuana question. Uh, you know why? Because I don't want some little kid doing what I tried. Yeah, it never stops. But, but, but we got to understand, I'm, I'm going to be president. I'm, I want to lead. I want to set. If you want your little kid to say, hey, daddy, the answer is I never smoked, uh, but, I, but uh, I never smoked anything. But, uh, but I will tell you that there was an earlier time, many years ago, when Sheila uh, made brownies, and they must say they did have they did have a strange taste. Look, I, you know, I uh, when I was a kid, I I, uh, I inhaled uh, frequently. That was uh, that was that was the point. The war on drugs has been a utter failure. Uh, and I think that we need to rethink and decriminalize uh, our uh, our marijuana laws. But I'm not somebody. Uh, but I'm not somebody who believes in uh, legalization of marijuana. But what we are up against is a culture that, since the 1960s, has, at the minimum, not encouraged drug use and often romanticized. I'm always curious about how, how folks in the media perceive what, what Tim Hudak is, uh, is like. So now, let me throw that question back at you if you would have guessed the times of use. Um, listen, I was a, a normal kid. I had a normal uh, upbringing, normal life uh, in university, so experimented from uh, time to time uh, with marijuana. It's, it's a long time ago uh, in the past, in the grand scheme of things. <laughs> and welcome back. Isn't that an interesting situation there, Al? Just say yes seems to be the thing to do. In pot, we trust. And it seems to be the thing to do if you're in public office when asked about whether or not you smoke pot. Apparently, Joe Fontana this morning on the news <laughs> was being quoted as having said, I never exhale. Yeah, I love that one. I love that one. <laughs> and uh, that was sort of since being elected, or no, before he was elected that uh, he said that kind of a thing. So, uh, anyways, the voices you just heard are, in order of their appearance, just in that clip we played, uh, Kim Campbell, Jean Charest, George Bush, Paul Martin, he was one of the Brownies, Barack Obama, Stephen Harper, and finally Tim Hudak. And you can check out a clip on YouTube called Hypocrisy for more, H-Y-P-O-T, C-R-I-S-Y, and you can watch the whole uh, video yourself on the split screen that shows the interviews and commentaries you just heard on the left side of the screen, while on the right side of the screen, you see all these young people getting busted by police and hauled off to jail for smoking pot in various circumstances. <laughs> and there you can see the hip pot 
Chrissy, right? <laughs> Where on the left, all the people that are tossing these people in jail are all laughing about their own experiences with pot. Right. But who, are those kids laughing who are going to jail? Anyways, you'll be, you'll be hearing more uh, public responses to the question of pot smoking, including that of yours truly, by the way, a little later in the show. But it is amazing how the pot issue suddenly become a hot topic for the summer politic. Most likely, I think, because of uh, Liberal Party leader Justin Trudeau's public admissions on the topic recently. Now, last week here on the show, we heard, uh, we got a message through his email from Prince of Pot, Mark Emery, not talking about pot, per se, but talking about Ayn Rand and commenting in his email about his expectations regarding the movie documentary Citizen Mark, which debuted at the Montreal Film Festival this past weekend and runs till September. So no word yet on how Citizen Mark fared at the festival, but there sure has been a lot of words about a complete un misunderstanding between Mark Emery, the Prince of Pot, and Justin Trudeau, leader of the Liberal Party of Canada, and that story broke last week on Friday, the day after I did the last week's show. And as a consequence, we've heard again from Mark, and I was planning to kick off this segment with a very clear explanation for the misunderstanding as explained by Mark. But now, in addition to the controversies raised by Trudeau's admission he has smoked pot since becoming an MP, it seems as if there's a sudden rush for politicians at all levels of government to come out of the cannabis closet. And, you know, even if they've never smoked pot, which is kind of weird. It's almost taboo to say that you didn't smoke pot at some time in your life because the media and most of the public won't believe you. It, it, it seems that if you say yes, it's okay, but if you say no, you must be hiding something. That's right. And uh, it, it, it's, it's such an interesting um, contradiction, really, isn't it? Now, you know, we just heard Paul Martin, for example, saying he never smoked anything. Okay, so he's off the hook. Yet he went out of his way <laughs> to tell us that he sampled brownies that might be laced with pot, but he didn't say so, right? But it, it seemed like he couldn't not say that he hadn't smoked. He almost felt like he was out of place. So I'm asking myself, what gives? Why is it suddenly more fashionable just to say yes if you're asked about smoking pot? And I have a theory, Al. Okay. It's not about pot. And I'm sure you'll share it with us. Yeah. I, I think it's about an issue you're certainly familiar with, and I think it has to do with trust, with the trust in and credibility of our current crop of politicians. Yes. And they haven't been faring too well in that department lately. And, of course, it's about the issue of lying. And uh, now my theory is going to have to wait till the last segment of the show because right now I want to just take this opportunity to clear up what was going on between Mark Emery and, and uh, mm -hmm. Justin Trudeau, of course, and uh, get to that too. But uh, here is the situation on Mark. Um, where was this? First posted Friday. This is uh, by Jessica Murphy, Parliamentary Bureau. I saw this in the free press as well. Quote, and the headline was, Justin Trudeau, I did not get high with the Prince of Pot. Okay, Mark Emery. And the story read, Justin Trudeau says, jailed pro-pot activist Mark Emery was flat out lying when he said he smoked a few joints with the now liberal leader. I only met Mark Emery once in my life, so that's a lot of smoking with him that I apparently did, Trudeau said in Trois-Rivières, Quebec Friday. I've never done it except with people I know and trust, he added. So I'm thinking, wait a minute, that means he does smoke. I'm thinking, did you really mean to say you don't? Or he just didn't smoke with Mark Emery. Well, no, he's okay. taking Paul Martin's lead. Well, maybe, going out, yeah. Going out of his way. <laughs> and he says, uh, Mark Emery is someone I just met, but n not someone I thought of smoking with, right? And, uh, of course, Mark's the self... They, they call him the self-described principal. He did not describe himself that no. way. That was done, actually, by the National Enquirer. 
Oh and my that, goodness! That's how the name stuck. And uh, it's cur- he's currently, I think that's who did it, where it originated. And he's, and he's serving his five-year sentence in the U.S., of course. And he, in 2009, he called Trudeau a hypocrite for voting along with the rest of the Liberal caucus that year in support of the Conservatives' Bill C-15, which, of course, raised yep. minimum, uh, um, set minimum sentencing. And uh, Trudeau, quote, has smoked, smoked with me four or five times, Emery said, in a filmed public remark not long after the Commons vote. Uh, the liberal leader said he only ever met Emery once in the act of a smoked weed during the meeting, but he abstained. Now, Mark did send us a letter, and he wanted to really clear it. He's been kind of embarrassed by this and didn't even know this was going on. And so here's what he's written, and these are his words, okay, in an email yeah. to us. Yeah. And he said, quote, quote, what in the video is, quote, four, and five t- four or five times should be four or five times on one evening. Okay, not separate occasions. But it was ad-libbed into that speech after Trudeau voted for mandatory minimums. Normally, you don't out anyone unless that person's in a position of authority and behaves at the time and under circumstances of his parliamentary vote in a hypocritical manner. So I told the story of smoking with him, but I did not intend for it to mean four or five separate occasions. I did say four or five times, meaning four or five joints over the course of a single evening. In this case, a second-floor patio restaurant on Broadway Avenue in Vancouver in August 2003. And, of course, that Trudeau did confirm. And Mark says, I've never seen the video. Of course, he's in jail. He can't can't see that. And we don't have the Internet here. Or I would have long ago corrected any misunderstanding, as today it has only come to my attention uh, in that speech in the summer of 2009 that I said four or five times without further explanation. So I can understand Mr. Trudeau's indignation, he writes. If I were in a position to know what was in the video, I would long ago have corrected that impression. I'm so distressed that the liberal leader, who's doing a marvelous job on the marijuana file now, is being held to account for words that foolish me, leave a clearly false impression, and I'm totally disturbed and embarrassed by the misrepresentation. So from the Honorable MP's point of view, his remark that I'm flat out lying if four or five times is taken to mean four or five or separate occasions is quite understandable. Clearly, he has met me on two occasions, at Idea City in June of 2003 and in August that summer where the four times we smoked that joint, etc., etc. And I feel badly I have unintentionally maligned Mr. Trudeau's reputation. If I could correct or edit that video, or in some way have had an opportunity to vet that video, I'm sure I would have made that explanation before it got to the harmful point it is now. Okay, so that's right. that's quite a that's quite an apology. Not even necessary, really, but he made it to that's, make it clear. Yeah, well, uh, as uh, everyone has always said about Mark, yeah. uh, you can say whatever you want about him, <laughs> but he's not shy about telling you uh, the truth and the way that's it is. That's the thing with Mark, and that's why he's sitting in a jail. He, you know, they said, "Did you sell pot seeds?" He said, "Yep." <laughs> yeah, exactly. And yeah. that brings us to our subject we're going to be getting to in the in the next quarter. But uh, thanks to that exchange, Jessica Murphy did manage to insert the following paragraph into Monday's print coverage in the free press, which had the headline on it, just blowing smoke. Quote, but Emery said he did get high once with Trudeau in August 2003 on a restaurant patio in Vancouver, though it was Emery, quote, doing most of the smoking. So they got that little <laughs> detail in there. And... Uh, so, I'm oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say uh, w- when you talk about all these politicians jumping in, uh, it, it makes one wonder: uh, is that really just the way of society? Because you see all of these politicians, and and if you make an analogy here, they're looking for votes in the smoke rather than in the clear <laughs> air, and, and I'm not sure what that's saying. Well, 
Well, well, did you see this piece, um, Wednesday, August 28th? Hey, that's yesterday. I, for some reason, I think it's a lot older. Um, Ford and Wynn confess they too smoke dope, yes. right? Yes. Ontario's Premier and Toronto Mayor Rob Ford threw themselves in the political pot debate Wednesday confessing they too smoke dope, and more than once. And, of course, Ford's been fighting these uh, crack cocaine allegations, and he, he says, oh, yeah, he said with a laugh, I won't deny that I smoked a lot of it. And uh, apparently three years ago, Ford admitted he was charged with driving under the influence and marijuana possession in Florida in the 1990s. And Wynne, who lived with her young children for three years in the Netherlands where the drug is legal, wouldn't say whether she agrees with Trudeau that marijuana should be legalized and regulated. Interesting. Um, Got to come up to our next break. What you're going to be hearing here are more admissions of people smoking pot and we'll return after this break tonight legalizing cannabis it's actually decriminalizing but i can't say that word very well so anyway we'll talk about that it'll be busy um a lot of people watching who do of course think that cannabis should be everywhere probably can't get to the phone or certainly can't dial the numbers properly you want a great panel assembled Derek lee mp scarborough rouge river liberal of course house special committee non-medical use of drugs welcome to you sir thank you very much good to be here ever smoked ever inhaled no i must have read secondhand smoke though had to oh what a cop out <laughs> <laughs> bruce miller administrator police association of ontario who's never even seen drugs probably uh, they've been around. <laughs> they've been around. From the other side of the fence. Yeah. <laughs> Robert Metz, President, Freedom Party of Ontario. Who doesn't really care about the drug itself, merely the, the right to use it, I suppose. Absolutely. There you go. Ella? Yes. You have? Of course. What was it like? No, I'm only joking. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Robin Ellens, proprietor, friendly stranger. What on earth is that? It's a cannabis culture shop. When I was in England, I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it, and didn't inhale, and never tried it again. Can we get into the smoking the joint thing again? That's why I played saxophone. You see, you have to blow into it, so you have to inhale with a saxophone, or you die. <laughs> That's how I learned to inhale, playing my saxophone. You blow out, and then you have to inhale. Now, <laughs> I tried to do it. I just couldn't. I wasn't trying to get off the hook. You know, I was okay, just well, making well, a well, Okay, let's go. Because I've heard different people discuss it, and I've done my jokes. Okay, you got the joint in your hand. I bet you burned me. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Okay, somebody, somebody says, you know, they, they, that word E A R. You all heard it in college. Ear. And. Uh, <laughs> And then what do you do at that point? I took it, and I tried to smoke it just like a cigarette. But I'd never smoked a cigarette before. Mm -hmm. And you're and not I, a drinker either, right? No, well, I never had a drink till I was 22. I do now a little bit, but not much. Mm -hmm. But anyway, so I, I did my best. I mean, I, and I tried, but I just couldn't inhale it. I mean, I wasn't trying to get a good conduct medal for saying I didn't inhale. I was just nervously pointing out that it was another one of those things I tried to do and failed at in life. <laughs> Yeah, I gave it. I was, I was, uh, you know, I was 22 or 23 years old. I gave it my very best shot. 
Yeah. I mean, I really tried. I just... Look, I, I know how it is dealing with the press. If you could explain it over again the first time, would you do it any differently? Yeah, I'd have just said yes. <laughs> There's a simple answer. Right? Just say yes. Again, you know? I, again, it's, a, it's the catch-22, yeah. Isn't it? But, you know, I got into a, a side issue on, on this issue that, that led into it. And... Um, I was listening to uh, Al Pervin over on CJBK there, who's filling in for Andy Utman over the past couple of weeks, and we got into a little debate there on this issue. I guess I upset him a bit because he, he kind of cut me off in the middle of the conversation. And I can't believe that. Uh, you know, apparently <laughs> suggesting you have a right to your own life is all it took to, uh, to upset him. <laughs> and uh, in any case, I think he was confusing a lot of things, and he, he comes across as what I would say you're... Uh, what I would call a typical right-wing conservative, not your kind of conservative, yeah. but you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. And he brought up an interesting issue. He says, what's the issue? He says, the issue is not whether marijuana should be legalized. 66% of Canadians apparently think so. I don't agree, but they can think whatever they want to think. The issue is very simple here. An MP pledges to the Queen that he or she will uphold his or her Majesty's laws as they respect Canada. That's a solemn pledge, and that's the issue. Not only did Justin Trudeau break his pledge, which, which could also be described as lying to the Queen, he seems to feel he didn't do anything wrong. Uh, the right thing to do would be to apologize and say he wouldn't do it again. I should have waited until I changed the law so everyone can get stoned legally, end quote. Now, that was his argument there. That that's how it should be done. Um, except I found out, Al, that the oath to the Crown does not in and of itself constitute any explicit pledge to uphold any particular law. No, actually, I have it right in front of me, and I'm reading it as, as, as you're speaking, and I see nothing well, in Well, why don't you read it for us? Uh, well, uh, I swear, slash, or affirm right. that I will be faithful and bear true allegiance to Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, Queen of Canada, which was added in 1977, her heirs and successors, and I will faithfully observe the laws of Canada and fulfill my duties as a Canadian citizen. As a Canadian citizen. So it does say observe the laws of Canada, you see. And, uh, but the thing is, you know, a person doesn't even have to make that declaration. A person may choose to replace the word swear with affirm and to omit the phrase, so help me God. The oath taker is also given the option of either swearing on the Bible or not. Because Correct. they make a lot, of, uh, a lot of exceptions on that. But there isn't, you know, to affirm to uphold the laws... What would that mean? How would you change a law, then, if you're going to uphold it? Is, there, is that process allowed within that whole uh, situation? I, I affirm you know, to uphold the law as someone else gives it to me, I assume is what it's saying. It, like, should I even be running for parliament if I'm planning to, say, change pot laws? Am I go and then, <laughs> then I go in and I say, well, I affirm, I swear to uphold this law. You see, to me, the, the whole idea of affirming a... Um, a particular allegiance to a law is dangerous. You don't do that. You do it to the to to well, God and country, queen and country, however it's expressed, right? And the general purpose of an oath is to swear allegiance to a nation in the sense that you will not represent the interests of another nation, correct? Or cause or another cause that would undermine the sovereignty of the country. It has to do with sovereignty. It's more a promise not to be a traitor than to uphold any specific domestic law. Correct. Or regulation, yeah. right? Basically, if you're affirming that you are going to observe uh, the laws and uphold the laws, then that you immediately rule yourself out of actually having to change them. Right. 
the, you, that, that's, you, you, you take the way the... It's a catch-22. It, it is, again, it's a catch-22. And what's interesting, uh, I happened to look this up when you said you okay. were going to do this, and, and the one quote which I abbreviated uh, back in 19, uh, about 20 years ago, uh, Justice Edward uh, Morgan... Uh, was brought up in front of him that somebody wanted to change it. And he said, no, it's going to stay the way it is because it's symbolic. And as he said, you can protest it as soon as you swear to it. <laughs> Literally. Oh, interesting. Yes. Well, that, that's even more interesting. Well, anyway, another thing I found interesting in the whole line of thinking here, that it didn't seem to make any didn't matter, didn't make any difference whether a particular politician in a particular situation was lying, only that he obey the law. So the public in Trudeau's case is kind of on the one hand condemning him for telling the truth Correct. on a particular instance, which would have actually almost put him in a better position. He would have been in a better position had he told, had he told he, a complete he lie, yes, right? Yes. So what do you want him to have an oath to? Do you want him to have an oath to queen and country? Do you want to have more of an oath to, I promise, to tell you the truth and not to misrepresent who I am, what I am, to you, the voter, to you, the queen? To you. Isn't that more important? To, it seems to me that's what swearing is about. You're swearing to the truth of a situation as well. Are we back to full disclosure again? It, isn't it? It's <laughs> yeah, almost I mean, the same thing. Yes. So I'm thinking either way, trust is at issue. Either you can't trust Trudeau because he's lying, or if he tells you the truth about an illegal activity, then you can't trust him because he broke the law. Yes, right? true. So, so you get caught. So, you know, and I... And I I have to say, I, I really couldn't understand why Mark Emery would support Trudeau because, you know, today he says he's in favor of pot legalization when uh, just recently he supported mandatory minimum sentencing for yes. pot growers. So how would you ever trust Trudeau to stick to his principles? Because it's clear he doesn't operate on principles. He operates on polls. And that's one of the things that Al was complaining about, too. He says, well, here's a guy who'll do anything as long as a poll tells him it's okay. But, you know, who's driving the polls? Yeah, and it's you really know? hard to see those people, as I said earlier, uh, with all the smoke in the room, it's hard to know who's doing anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so you know, what's changing them? You know, it's not, it's not uh, principled politicians <laughs> leading the way. It's the ideas and knowledge about cannabis, and more particularly about prohibition laws and their effect that I think is sl is slowly changing public opinion over yes. time. Yes. And uh, to say nothing about the sheer hypocrisy of it all, if you want to call it that. And, um, you know, you even have that issue on the local level when they're talking about having an integrity commissioner and all that, that sort of stuff. I mean... Uh, I think it's ridiculous. Uh, can any politician who's promised you to rob Peter to pay Paul really have integrity in the sense that we might talk about it if it were on a personal level? Correct. Uh, you know? If I've already said to you that given the opportunity, I will um, on purpose or inadvertently take money from here and place it over to there regardless of who it's good for or not good for. That's right. And in consideration of one group over top of another group, it. Uh, how do you trust that person to do anything down the road? And of course, him. one last thought to leave everyone with. You know, you can talk democracy all you want. You can talk getting in parliament all you want. But in the move from less freedom to more freedom, the regrettable truth of the matter is that history has been made of people who had to break a law to change it. And that's, you know, whether you're talking about Henry Morgenthaler, whether you're talking about Mark Emery, whether you're talking about uh, Martin Luther King, whether you're talking Correct. about a whole bunch of people who had to change 
what were effectively evil laws because they violated people's rights, and that was the whole issue. You know, um, Trudeau was quite known to have smoked before he took his oath. I mean, that's not a secret. It wasn't his mother Margaret? I, I do believe it was, yes. <laughs> Have you ever read her book? <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, I, I just can't believe that, that that even got as far as it did without that getting out into the into the uh, blogs, blogosphere out there. But anyways, we're out of time already, Al. I bet you wow. that flew by for you. That was unbelievable. Did you have fun? <laughs> I absolutely enjoyed it. Well, then and I hope the people out there enjoyed it as well. Oh, I had some fun, so maybe we'll see you back here. Again, join us again next week when we will continue our journey in the right direction. Until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see ya. Fade into color, color into black and white, under the bedclothes. Everything will be alright. <laughs> now for a look at the future with the news headlines 20 years from now. It's over to you, Dan Rowan. Here are the headlines 20 years from now. Item, New York City, 1988. In an attempt to boost circulation, Time magazine announced a new feature. With each edition, a free copy of Newsweek. In addition, there will be a regular contribution from the mayor of Chicago, Mr. Hugh Hefner, and next week, Time Magazine will present their first full-color fold-out, a provocative picture of William F. Buckley. <laughs> Time Magazine will present their first full-color fold-out, a provocative picture of William F. Buckley. 